0: Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with the earthquake tracker, Dr. Lucy Jones. And after listening to today's episode, please write a review on the platform you use to listen to our podcast to help others discover getting through it. And now, let's get to it. As we've talked about before, Earthquakes are the ultimate risk for humans. They seem like they can kill you, and there is uncertainty about when and where they will happen. But you know, Lucy, that's not exactly true. We know where they happen, at the plate boundaries.
1: Right, they happen at the plate boundaries and they can happen just about anywhere else. There really is nowhere that we're willing to say it's absolutely impossible for an earthquake to happen. The plate boundaries has more quakes but you know, even in California, most of the earthquakes aren't on the boundary itself. The boundary itself is the San Andreas, and most of our earthquakes are on the other faults around it.
0: So if they can happen anywhere, why do they sometimes appear places where the public and others are surprised by them? Why do we call the West Coast earthquake country, but in fact, the whole country is earthquake country because it all could have earthquakes?
1: This is back to that geologic time problem. We think that human time frames matter and geology just takes a lot more time to do it. Earthquakes happen more often in California, and everywhere they happen, they happen because of stress, a force applied over an area. These stresses come from a lot of sources, but the big one in the earth is convection. The heat in the deep earth needs to move out and cool off. That drives plate tectonics. So we have literally big pieces of the earth's crust moving around where They're moving more quickly, you have more stresses, you have more earthquakes. So California is a place where two plates come together and they move past each other and you get a lot of stress. On the East Coast, you're now in the middle of a plate, but that wasn't always true. The Appalachian Mountains and the Rocky Mountains were formed when those areas were plate boundaries having a lot of stresses. And it's now shifted over the millions of years, hundreds of millions of years, and it's in the middle of the plate, but there's probably some residual stresses from those long ago motions. And there might be something, you know, deep in the mantle that's also driving some of these things. So a place with a lot of earthquakes like Japan or California is usually a plate boundary where your your source of stress is really obvious. But a place that has a magnitude six, say once a century, could have a pretty subtle source of of stress that we really only can make guesses about because with one earthquake a century, we don't have a lot of data to work with.
0: With earthquakes happening at faults, listeners might wonder, in these places where we don't have them very often, in an unexpected place, like on the East Coast, is it actually creating a new fault? We know there are more than 300 named active faults in Southern California alone. Faults are
1: actually everywhere. You know, in addition to our 300 active faults, we have thousands of other faults. To break rock takes a lot of energy. And so if you have an intact rock, it takes a lot of work to even make a little tiny crack in it. And it begins with those little earthquakes over a tiny area. But to have a big earthquake, if you remember a big earthquake is a long stretch that's broken you need to have a pre-existing fault because it just takes too much energy to break that much fresh rock. But everywhere has faults. You know, a billion years ago, the Appalachian Mountains were almost as tall as the Himalayas. There was a lot of deformation going on, creating a lot of faults. And those old cold rocks still have those faults as zones of weaknesses. And therefore they can be reactivated. And that's always easier than forming a new one. The problem is there really are faults everywhere
0: and which ones are gonna be reactivated is really hard to tell. And then on top of that, the natural process the earth has of stress, we have everyone's favorite meddler in geology and that's humans.
1: Well, yes, we're now seeing more earthquakes in places that are rather surprising because of human activity. And this is one we actually understand reasonably well when you change the water pressure in the rock, it makes it easier to move in an earthquake. And we start seeing reactivated faults and earthquakes in a place that hadn't been having them regularly. But the key is changing the pressure of the water in the ground. We first recognized this when some big dams were built and those huge bodies of water were now impounded on the earth and they started setting off earthquakes. We sort of figured out the physics that that water change is what makes the difference. Now we're seeing a lot of earthquakes because we're literally injecting the water into the ground, sort of a more direct way to increase the water pressure. Wastewater disposal with fracking is one of the ways in which it happens. The other way is geothermal energy production. Because to do geothermal energy, mostly you're pumping water in, cold water in, and you pump hot water out to get out the energy. And they set off a lot of earthquakes. Induced earthquakes don't make natural earthquakes disappear. And so, to say something's actually induced, you need to show that it's near a place where the water's been changing. And you also need to say you know, it's really almost a probability that it's induced because you've changed the rate at which they happen. Uh, any one individual event is it induced? That's really hard to say what would have happened if we hadn't been acting. But when the rate changes, that's the really obvious sign.
0: So, with earthquakes happening everywhere and anywhere naturally, and then as we see in like Oklahoma and other places where the rate has changed because of human activity, how is the energy transmitted differently? Clearly there's different geologies on the East Coast and the West Coast. How does that impact what we feel?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because when we're talking about can an earthquake happen, that's saying can the earth release energy? But for people to feel an earthquake, that's both the energy is released and it gets to where you are. And that means it has to travel through the rock My favorite analogy is like a bell. Think about it. You hit a bell and it rings and it keeps on ringing for a while. If you have a really cracked bell, you hit it and it doesn't ring very well. So the old, cold, hard rocks of the East Coast are like the solid bell and do a really good job of transmitting the energy. And the young, hot, broken up rocks of the West Coast are like that cracked bell. So the same size earthquake, the same amount of energy released by the Earth is felt over a much larger area on the East Coast than the West Coast. One of the most famous big earthquakes in the Eastern US were the ones in New Madrid, Missouri in 1812 and a couple of magnitude sevens. And the reports were clearly, uh, it showed it was felt over a huge area that furniture moved in the White House and church bells rang in Boston. And because it was felt over such a wide area, we looked at that and compared it to the area that 1906 was felt. This was a long time ago before we really had a good handle on magnitude and everything. And they said, "Heavens! It was felt over such a big area. It must be way bigger than 1906." And it was called the biggest American earthquake ever. Well, once we understood about uh, how the attenuation of waves is working, and we had more recordings, we now say that those earthquakes were were magnitude sevens. So what we have is that the number of people feeling earthquakes is much larger than the rate of earthquakes, if you will, as you try to compare the East and, and West Coast. You know, There was a magnitude 5.8 in Virginia in 2011. And our estimate is that that earthquake was felt by more Americans than any other earthquake in our history because it went up the whole Eastern seaboard. It was felt from South Carolina to, uh, up into New York. And there are a lot of people in those areas.
0: So what should we expect in terms of earthquakes in the future from areas outside the plate boundaries? We know we can expect earthquakes at the plate boundaries as we have for decades, for centuries. What about those areas that are not at the boundary?
1: Well, it's actually the same thing. There will be earthquakes. They're just coming at a much lower rate than in the active regions like the West Coast. And also like California or indeed anywhere, there are many more small earthquakes than large ones. So a place that has small events can eventually have a big one too. You know, In 400 years of recorded history in the United States, there've been three magnitude sevens in the Eastern US and over 30 magnitude sixes. And most states have had a, a damaging earthquake. And that means they can again. And just like in California, No one can tell you that time of that individual event, so it's always possible, and we won't know if it's going to be one that we're going to feel or not.
0: So really, the United States is earthquake country. We shouldn't relegate that term for just one small area of the West Coast or of California. We all must be prepared to manage when the earthquake comes. And as you've always said, it's not if, but when.
1: All right, but let's be honest. For most human beings, if it happens after we're dead, it's not for us. In California, the chances are you're getting that damaging earthquake before you're dead. On the East Coast, you have a much better chance of moving
0: past it. Well, that's something we could talk about next time. So we'll have (laughs) to do this again. So until next time, I'm John Buary with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.